Hello and welcome to another episode of the Coaching Confidence Podcast. My name's David Bowsall and thank you so much for joining me here tonight for what is the 17th episode. I had to double check then, make sure I had the right one. So yeah, today's the 17th episode here of the Coaching Confidence Podcast and I'm so happy you guys have joined me for it. Thanks so much for giving me your time. I hope that you're going to learn something interesting, take away something really beneficial from this next hour. Uh, we've got a bunch of brilliant questions that have come in over the past week uh, from you guys. And as always, this podcast is run by you. It is literally you guys who shape what kind of content gets put up onto the podcast. Um, every week I put up a, um, a question on my Instagram story, which allows you to ask me the questions which go directly into making this podcast. If you want to have your questions in, it's dead simple. All you have to do is follow me on Instagram at david.bertwistle and slide hard into the DMs. Just slide straight in there and uh, ask me anything you want to know about training, mindset and nutrition. I will choose the three best questions each week and they will go into this podcast. Um, we've had some crackers come in already. We've had some great questions come in over the past week and I'm really excited about jumping in and giving you guys like we've got so much to talk about honestly it's like some really great questions that have come in some pretty challenging questions as well a few personal ones for me which hopefully um you guys are going to be able to get some benefit out of hearing my stories so yeah I feel like um this is the perfect time to just like dive in really um I wanted to start today's podcast with a mindset question um this one came in recently actually and so i can put it up if you're watching this on instagram live you can see the question the question was what was the most damaging thing to my confidence that i've experienced now i really wanted to kind of like think about when it was that i personally have felt a lack of confidence and like what was the trigger for that and when those moments have been in my life. And I think that there's like, there's two moments really for me which stand out. Uh, one when I was younger and one when I was an adult. And um, I think, let's start from the beginning, let's, because I feel like there's gonna be a lot of people which, which will understand this feeling. And for me, the first time that I felt like my confidence get knocked was when I was at school. Like I was, um, was I in secondary school? Yeah, I think I was in secondary school at this point, like early. So like kind of year seven, year eight. And I was like, I got bullied. I got bullied quite a lot when I was at school. And I think like a lot of people get bullied when they're at school and it's not very nice. Um, but like the time that actually hurt my confidence, it wasn't when, and I remember this really vividly, like this actually didn't hurt my confidence, although it was a pretty horrible experience. I was at McDonald's um, in town and I went to, um, I lived in a, a place called Newbury, which is in Berkshire. And I remember vividly being at McDonald's with a friend and one of the guys from the year above happened to be in there as well. He didn't like me plain and simple he didn't like me he was a bully at school and he happened to see me in mcdonald's and he i think he was friends with the guy that i was with and 
he basically, we, we ended up outside and he effectively took his strawberry milkshake and just poured it on my head. And I was literally in the middle of Newbury, completely covered in strawberry milkshake, which when I think about it now, it's kind of funny, but at the time I didn't find it very funny. And I ended up having to call my dad to come and pick me up and take me home. And like, it was a pretty awful experience when I look back on it, but it actually, that didn't knock my confidence. I just, I don't know, like I just kind of dealt with it. Um, the time that knocked my confidence when I was when I was younger was actually when I was trying to be friends with the group of lads which were in my village. Like we, I lived in a village. I didn't actually live in a town. And there was like a group of lads that I would try and hang out with that lived in the village as well. And the time that it knocked my confidence is that when I'm like 12, 13 years old, trying to hang out with these lads and they would like find it fun to make jokes and 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 effectively try and like ride off on their bikes and like leave me and i would be like hanging out with them or whatever we'd be in the park and they'd be like oh dave can you go and grab that thing over there and i'd go and get it and then they just ride off and whether they meant that in a serious way and they're trying to get rid of me or whether they were making meaning it as a joke often like you know it happened a couple of times and i'd get left by myself and they'd all have run off and I'd be the, the brunt of the joke and that was actually something that knocked my confidence. Like that made me feel really terrible. Like I was completely left out of the group and um, like I never really found a group of friends that I fit into when I was younger. Um, like I got bullied at school and, and even people that I tried or fought with my friends at that time, turns out that they really weren't. Um, so like being, in secondary school, like in year seven and eight, and like going through that, that was something definitely not my confidence. And it wasn't really until I was like in year 11 and found some success at rugby that I started to become more confident. Like I was cheeky beforehand. Um, and my teachers thought I always had an answer for everything, <laughs> but I wasn't really confident, not in like myself and not with the, um, like in social situations, you know, like I hung out with, girls a lot when I was at school because like I found that I interacted a lot better with them I didn't really have that many male friends you know so that was definitely something which was a struggle when I was younger um, and I think that really it was just a case of persisting through that and that was something which I kind of eventually got past and got through um, but it was through like having success in rugby that I actually found a group of people which I was respected amongst and that's something i think that is probably quite important when you are trying to fit in with a social circle and a bunch of people is you have to be respected within that group and um that's kind of what drives acceptance is respect in in, in like various ways um so yeah i suppose that's it when i was when i was a young younger guy there has been times when i've been like an adult though that I've lost confidence as well. And I think like the most the most prominent time for me, it's it's like related to relationships. And you know, I didn't have a, a, a great relationship uh with someone. I don't really want to go into too much detail with it, but effectively, like I came out the back of that relationship doubting myself. I came out the back of it 
wondering, am I really not a good person? If like, how is it that there's been so many problems? Like I was doubting myself. My self-confidence definitely took a knock. Like I would go out with friends and then at the first opportunity, I would actually just leave and go home because I didn't feel confident being in that environment. I got anxious, I got worried and um, I just thought that actually, you know, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be in that environment. And I kind of kept putting myself in the environment to try to force myself to come out of this funk, out of that like drop and to regain my confidence. And um, I think that it was probably like, uh, for me, it was about six weeks of kind of having that anxiety and that that lack of self-confidence, talking to girls and being in social environments and having a bit of social anxiety. And then finally, I suppose I, I you know, I kind of just, I don't want to say got over it, but like from constantly putting myself in a position to fail, but like forcing myself to get through it, I got past that and then started to talk to people again. And, and that social anxiety kind of reduced. Um, but it's a, it's a great question. Like, I think that you could, and I've had people say this to me in the past, like people could look at my social media, people could speak to me and think that and think one thing. And that's kind of why I choose to share some of these stories with you guys, because I want to open up about things that have happened in my life and you can kind of get a bit more perspective. Um, because like, you know, we do judge people in various ways for pros or for cons. And, um, I feel like the more open that I am with you, the more I actually get out of this myself. I actually have the ability to effectively, <laughs> what's it, um, counsel myself through the medium of Instagram and YouTube and, <laughs> and iTunes. Effectively, I'm talking through my uh, experiences with you guys and that allows me to accept them. And it's definitely something that I would encourage you guys to do is, you know, talk to your friends about the things that are going on in your life. Talk to your friends about whatever it is that you've been struggling with or things that have affected you and allow that conversation to happen, even if they only listen, you know what I mean? Like I'm talking to you guys, you're not telling me answers, but in the process of me talking, I learn to accept what's happened as part of my life. And that acceptance grows into understanding who I am um, a lot more. And that become that means I'm more confident, not that I am more arrogant or not that I am more kind of I'm the greatest, nothing like that. But it's really that those kind of ostentatious, um, over the top gestures of proving who you are, I feel less and less like I have to do them. The more that I accept my journey, my background, my personality, my pros and my cons. So um, it kind of is a win-win for both of us. And I really hope that <laughs> that answered your question about confidence. Um, because it was a good good place to start, I feel. That was a good little question. Um, right, we're going to move on to the next topic. Next topic is training related. We're going to go slightly away from mindset into training and talk about um, why you need to lift slowly when you first start training. Because often I see people just training way too quickly, way too fast, not really putting the time into understanding like how to lift and just trying to like lift heavy or lift quickly and just kind of get it done. So 
why you need to lift slowly, it's actually really, really important, right? Because you've got to remember that your muscles are basically just like the contraction is a reaction of a signal that's been sent from your brain through your nerves to that muscle, right? So for me to contract my bicep, I have to think subconsciously or consciously to contract it. The signal goes from here, down through there, hits the muscle and then the muscle contracts. Now, if that signal isn't like really focused, if that signal is um, like foggy or it's interrupted, then the muscle's not gonna contract as well. It's like driving down a motorway, right? You know when you drive down a motorway and it's really foggy, you have to slow down because you can't see as far, therefore you can't drive as far safely. It's exactly the same with your nerves and the signals that come from your brain. If the signal is the car and the nerve is all foggy, then it goes slower. Whereas if there's no fog and there's loads of lanes, then the cars can go really quickly and everything will happen really well and, and the contraction will be way better. So when you're first starting to lift, when you are um, kind of starting out, the most important thing you can do is actually slow down, like slow way down. Because when you slow down, the muscle signal it is a lot clearer. And over time that builds up, it's like you're just on one lane to start off with. You have to go slow and then over time that becomes two lanes and then three lanes and four lanes. And you can get loads of signals down really, really quickly and literally lift with perfect technique no matter what the situation. But if you don't start off by lifting slowly, then you are going to uh, struggle to get the right signals there and, and all your training is gonna be kind of somewhat hampered. You know, you might as well start off really good rather than kind of cheating and uh, not getting the response that you're looking for. Moving on to a question around nutrition, because this is the third topic that we have. We obviously have mindset, training, and nutrition. Now the nutrition question, the first one that came in for me, um, is in link with the post that I just did. So um, the one I just talked about was making habitual changes, about like making small changes and seeing if they add up. And, and the question was, why should we make small changes? And I, I think this is such a brilliant topic because we're, it's tricky in the fitness industry because what you see is the dramatic result. What you see is the 10 day, 10 pound loss. You see the guy getting massive really quickly. You see the kind of eight week challenge for F45 where people lose like 20 kilos or just ridiculous results in a really short space of time. And that may be very exciting and that may be what sells magazines and sells training programs and gets people into the gym, but it's not usually the best approach for the vast majority of people because when you make big changes, they cause a big stress response. And what I mean is that is that Every time you have a change, every time you make a change, you have to adapt to that change. And the bigger the change, the bigger the adaptation. Often what happens when we make big changes at once is that it becomes overwhelming and we can only accept those changes for a short amount of time because it gets to a point where those changes have been too much and we revert back to our habits. If our 
changes that have come in haven't been small enough for us to be able to adapt to them, then our habits won't actually change. And it's our habits changing that make our life super easy. Like your habits are all of the decisions that you unconsciously make throughout the day, which you don't even know that you're doing. Like you don't even realize that you're doing them. Think about getting up in the morning. What do you do? You wake up, you turn on the light or you turn off the alarm. Maybe you have a look at your phone, then you get up, maybe you go to the bathroom, maybe you brush your teeth and have a shower. And then after you come out of the shower, you put your boxers on, you put your underwear on, and you put one leg in that pair of underwear first. And it's always the same leg. You don't think about it. It is a habit. You always put the same leg in. Tomorrow, or whenever you're listening to this, I want you to put on your underwear and just do it naturally. Do whatever way it is that you do naturally, right? Just put them on. Then take them off and try the other leg first. Guarantee it will feel weird. Like, it's one of those things that we don't even know that we're doing and it's a habit. We have loads of habits, like many more that you can even put a number on because they govern our entire life, you know? And they're easy. We don't think about them. They don't take up any capacity in our brain ever. They literally are fantastic. And if you can get good habits, then it means that every single day, those habits, those things that you're not even thinking of are taking you one step closer to the life that you want, sorry, the life that you want or the body that you want or the career that you want or the relationship that you want or whatever it is the goal is that you have set for yourself. Those habits every day will take you one step closer to that or if you have negative habits, they'll take you one step further away without you even realizing it. And they stick. You have to consciously change your habits. You have to be aware of that habit and then you have to consciously change it. So once these habits are formed, once these small changes have been ingrained into you, you no longer have to think about them and you have to consciously be aware of them to change them again, which actually makes it so much easier. Now, it's really hard to change habits. When I say really hard, it is hard uh, than not changing them, but it is obviously possible because it happens all the time. However, if you if you don't put in the time, then it's never gonna happen. And if you try to do too much and change too much at the same time, it's gonna be overwhelming. You're not really gonna be able to adjust and you are gonna lose some of those habits along the way. They will fall off. Like there's only so much capacity that you have. What with going to work, training, having a relationship, eating, sleeping, going out and socializing, all of these things take up mental capacity. If you're then trying to change a bunch of habits as well, then often it's just too much to really do at one point. So if you focus on small habits, if you focus on making small changes, then each time you make a change, it's the last time you have to make that change. If you are eating one portion of fruit or veg a day, then you make it a habit to always buy enough food so that you can have three portions or four portions of fruit and veg a day, then over time, that will just be the way that you shop and the way that you eat. You won't have to think about it, you will just do it. And so once you've made that change, you don't have to do it again. But making a massive change and like trying to lose 20 kilos in eight weeks or 10 weeks or something like that, something really big, 
You have to make so many changes that all of those changes are conscious and they take over whatever else it is that you're doing in your life and they don't stick. Some of them might, the smaller, easier ones might stick, but not the big ones. So that's why making small changes is really the way for you to be able to ensure that those changes stick with you and become habits and make your life way easier. I definitely recommend if you are looking to make like body composition changes, lifestyle changes, relationship changes, start small and like focus on those small little things and then over time they'll grow and you'll become a machine, an unstoppable one. Um, I've just had a comment come in. It's quite a funny one, so I'm going to read it out. Maxine has just said, I'm waiting for you to fix my daddy issues. I'm having a crisis. Don't let me down. <laughs> I think that's quite funny. I don't know if I can fix your daddy issues. <laughs> I would love to help, but I'm not entirely sure it's something that I'm completely qualified to do. Um, good luck with that, Maxine. Now, uh, we've got a cool question come in, and one I feel is probably pretty... Um, Pretty topical for a lot of people in like their 20s um, because it's it's something that is like loads of people struggle with. Um, so Chloe has written in and said, being 20, how do I have confidence in knowing what I want to do with my career? You know what? I honestly don't know if anyone really knows what they want to do with their career when they are 20. Um, we're, we're kind of funneled through, like, go to school, get good grades, go to university, get good grades, get a job, like, start at the bottom, work your way up, and you're kind of expected to know at, like, 16, 17, 18, <clears throat> what the job is, the, the career is that you're supposed to be molding yourself into, and I kind of touched on this last week, like, the, the decisions that we make are often based on experiences that we've had in earlier life, either people that we look up to when we're younger, they've got a good job or they've got a great house or nice car or they seem like a nice person, they do a certain job and we think, oh, that's cool, maybe I can do that. And then we kind of like go along our path to try and get to where that person is. <coughs> but truly knowing what your career should be, it's a really difficult question to answer. Now, I, I don't know if actually ever we do have the confidence to know what our career should be at such a young age because we've never really had the experience of life to know what we like, what we're good at, what we're bad at, who we really are. Like from the age of 18 to 25, I feel like I changed quite a lot and I feel like over the past five years, I've changed quite a lot as well. Um, whether the job that we train for at uh, 18, 19, 20 is really the job that we want to do when we're 7, 27, 28, 29. Honestly, I don't really know. Um, I think that when you're like, we're so lucky in that we live in this like changing world, right? We're so lucky in that the world is so connected. Um, if you're in your 20s now, you have the opportunity to travel and see places that were just completely inaccessible 15, 20, 30 years ago. I remember my mom telling me a story about when she went traveling 
when she was um, 19, I think she was, she went to Corfu, right? She went to Corfu, which is an island somewhere. I don't actually know where it is. Um, I would assume it's in Europe. <laughs> I should probably have found out where that was, but I only just thought about this story. Um, so mum went to Corfu when she was a teenager and they only had two telephone lines out of the country, two, that's it. So she had to wait in the uh, telephone exchange to till one of the phone lines became available. And so she would then at that time call out of the country to try and reach her boyfriend. And she had to sit there for hours to try and get through. And then if she couldn't, she had to wait until he called her back. There was no WhatsApp, there was no email, there was no FaceTime, there was nothing. Like it was a it was a landline connection. She had to wait in the office to be able to make this call. And I've just had someone say that that Corfu's in Greece. Cheers, Nicka. <laughs> the power of social media giving me information. Appreciate that. Um and so like the difference is that we are so fortunate to live in a world where we have FaceTime, we have Instagram Live, we have YouTube, and we can get so much information from so many different places. We can learn basically any skill. I learned all of the skills that you see on my YouTube channel from YouTube. I learned how to edit myself, I learned how to use film equipment myself, all from uh, tutorials that are on YouTube, but I didn't go to any course to do all this stuff. We have the opportunity to learn these skills, to try various things, to go to different places, to experience different cultures and to meet different people. I would only say, honestly say that at 20, you shouldn't really have your shit figured out. I don't know if, like, I, I honestly was just kind of going through the motions at 20. I was going through my university degree, my first one in strength and conditioning, because that was something that I was good at. I didn't think about a career at that point. I was just going through the motions. And then I came out of that degree and was like, right, well, what do I want to do now? And so I started working as a personal trainer because I had skills in personal training, in coaching, in educating people on movement and nutrition. So I started doing that. But I didn't think to myself at the time, this is going to be my career forever. And there's been, you guys know, there's been times when my intentions in the, in the fitness industry have dropped. They've, you know, I about six years ago, I was like, oh, this is never going to pay me enough money. So I need to go back to university and learn something else. So it was at that point that things changed. So really, I think like teenagers, 20-somethings, I don't necessarily feel like you need to have it figured out. You just earn enough money so that you can do certain things. And if you have to earn that by working at a shop, I worked in... Uh, First place I worked was a kitchen porter. I was a kitchen porter cleaning dishes in the pub, in the local pub. Next job I had was um, working in a factory, in a uh, medical factory, like in the returns department, dealing with the returns. The next job I was working in um, in a shop, I worked in Abercrombie & Fitch in London. It was like £6.50 an hour. Like, we have to go through these these like these things to earn money because that's what we do. You earn money to be able to do the experiences, and there's there's so many ways we can earn money now. I honestly feel like we're we're so lucky to be able to have the opportunities that are apparent to us. But do, like, how do you have the confidence to know what you want to do with your career at twenty? I don't think that you need to have the answer to that question. I think you should take time because life is long. 
so many people change careers. It's so um, common now for people to have gone through a whole career and then realize that they want to do something else, reskill themselves and then do a whole different career. What is the problem in kind of elongating that process to start off with instead of just dump, jumping into something that you don't really know that you want to do? That would be my my personal um, like thoughts on it. I think like with my kids, if you know, if I have any, then I'm not going to push them to go straight to university. I think that it's important for you to be completely um, aware of why you're going to university and what it is that you're actually trying to get out of it before going, um, because it's a lot of money. Um, you got to make sure you're doing the right thing <laughs> if you do it. Now, we're going to move on a little bit to uh, to training. Um, as you guys know, I've been struggling with disc pain. Well, not disc pain, but sciatic pain down my left leg. Um, I've got a couple of bulging discs in my lower back, L4, L5, L5S1, which is like my lower lumbar. And that is something that I'm managing. You might see that I'm kind of going um through rehabilitation like i'm 29 and i'm rehabilitating my spine not brilliant but it is the result of playing rugby for 10 years <laughs> and training on top of that for another 10 years and you know happens I, I i've got to take care of it so um the update is because i kind of i mentioned that the doctor not the doctor the physio said I can't, I have to be careful how I have sex, right? No beating around the bush. The, one of the main problems for me was that if I was fortunate enough to have some sex, then it really hurt. Like the next day, day after, my sciatic pain would erupt and I would literally be in agony. I spoke to a doctor and he was like, yeah, yeah, that's actually really common. Because of the movement, if you're male, um, because of the movement in your hips when you have sex, the sciatic nerve can get really irritated, especially if it's it's got impinge, impingement and the disc is like crush, um, being pushed by the uh, vertebrae. So I've had to be a little bit more careful and um, I can report back, we've got good news, that it's not quite as bad as it once was, um, but it's as a result of doing the the rehab that I've been doing. Like I've been every day kind of getting down to my rehab and making sure that I'm really conscientious with my movement and like being really strict myself and, and setting that habit in place and kind of making sure that I'm accountable to myself and uh, knowing that the the, the problem's not going to be solved overnight, you know, like we don't lose weight because of one great workout. I'm not going to heal my back from one fantastic rehab session, but it is going to be the culmination of those rehab sessions over a period of time, which is going to allow me to, um, to get better and, and get back to training. So I think that like having now been doing my rehab for about a month, um, month, maybe five weeks, the great news is that pain has significantly reduced and um as long as i you know i'm not doing the things that aggravate it i'm not going through compression so i'm not loading my spine and compressing it like this i.e doing back squats and overhead press and things like that as long as i don't do that 
and I'm doing my daily rehab, I notice that I am significantly less painful and um, I can feel that my uh, core muscles are getting stronger. So real positive. Um, it was Amber, I think actually, I might have missed putting this question up. Did I get it? Yeah, here we go. <laughs> For you guys that are watching on Instagram Live, this was the question, how's the creativity going with the back problem? Wink, wink. So um, yeah, I'd say it's it's going great. Thanks very much for, for that, Amber. Much appreciated. <laughs> right, uh, nutrition question now. This question is, I think, got multiple different like uh, thought processes, right? So the question is, can I eat McDonald's and lose fat? Now, I don't know if you guys have been, if you follow um, Jordan Syatt, he's a Instagrammer, YouTuber, and um, he's a fitness bloke, right? And he's recently done the, um, I think it was 30 days, he went on a 30 day diet, and he had McDonald's every single day, and he lost weight, he lost fat in the process. And um, it was brilliant, I thought this was a fantastic uh, experiment to do, because it, it just perfectly proves the point that it's a calorie expenditure, calorie intake, issue when it comes to losing fat. You have to be in a deficit and you have to eat less than what's coming out. The, the tricky thing is we don't always know what's coming out. We don't know necessarily how many calories we're burning. We have to just look at the result of what we're doing to see if we are in a deficit, right? Now he figured it all out and he put himself in a deficit and he ate a Big Mac, I think it was, every single day for the whole month and he lost weight. And so it kind of proves that you can do it. It proves the point that you can eat junk food while you're in a deficit. Now, although you can, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, right? For a person that has a massive intake of food that can diet on quite a high amount of calories. So take myself, for, ex for example, my maintenance calories is around 2,800. So I would diet on around 2,400, 2,300 calories. So there's quite a lot in there. I think a Big Mac's maybe like 400, 450, 500 calories, something like that. So of my intake of food, that Big Mac would actually make up only about a quarter of the calories, which means I could get loads of nutrient-dense calories in as well. Because if you think about it, a, a Big Mac's not, in, not exactly high in nutrients. Like you've got your macros in there, you've got your proteins, your carbs, and your fat, but it's not exactly high in vitamins and minerals. <laughs> So when you're dieting, it's really important that you get those in from various different sources, colorful veggies, cruciferous veggies, lean proteins, um, fibrous carbohydrates, and healthy fats. Like That's what we want. So if you're going to have McDonald's or you're going to have junk food or you're going to have sugary foods, then it's important that you get those other whole foods in as like a major component of your diet if you are trying to lose fat because they're going to keep you healthy. You know, and if you're someone that actually is dieting on very few calories, now I'm talking about small women here, this is a good example. Um, for let's say a woman who is 55 to 60 kilos, uh, moderately active, her deficit calories might be about 1200, right? For her to have a Big Mac each day would be, I would say, highly unrecommended because it's gonna be like half a daily intake of food or a third of a daily intake of food. It's like a big component. And then for her to stay in a deficit 
while eating that food and getting enough nutrition in, it's gonna be really difficult. Plus you take into account that having a Big Mac, it's not really gonna fill you up that much. They're kind of what I would call empty calories. There's not much fiber in there and you're not gonna feel necessarily as full and as satisfied as you might do with a whole food equivalent. So you can, like there's a lot of things you can do whilst you diet. But I wouldn't recommend them. Like you can have high sugar, high fat foods, but I wouldn't really recommend it because the density of the calories in those foods is not really gonna be worth it because you're going to get them all at once. You're gonna have like maybe a sugar rush and then you'll, you'll drop off and then you'll be hungry again and which will make it a lot harder to stick to your deficit calories. And um, really the, the biggest thing with a deficit, with losing fat is adherence. If you're not adhered to the deficit, if you don't eat the right amount of calories, if you're not actually in a deficit, you ain't gonna lose fat. So making sure that that's what you do is, is paramount. And so like getting adequate fiber, like filling yourself up with cruciferous vegetables, you know, like broccoli and spinach and kale and peppers and things like that, cabbage, like all of those foods, they are fantastic because you can basically eat as much as you want. You can literally, it's like you can eat basically as much as you want and you're probably not gonna have an issue with the calories because there's so much volume of them and they're not very many calories. So doing that kind of stuff and having lean, lean protein where you've got like a protein source that's not got much fat or it's not been processed and it's therefore not got loads of salt with it. Um, like again, really beneficial, not having fried food. You know, fried food's really densely calorific because there's so much fat in it. And often that fat is like a trans fatty acid or it's a hydrogenated vegetable oil. Like again, things that are not necessarily that beneficial for you when you're trying to deficit. So you can have Maccas. I wouldn't recommend it. I'd, I'd stay away from it if I was you. But like, there's nothing wrong with having some every now and then if you want to, you know? And especially if you're at maintenance, like if you're at maintenance calories, then you should be able to have like 20% of your calories coming from junk food and processed food because it's not really gonna make much difference. Um, right, third question. Third question from the mindset topic um, was, just gonna have a little look at my notepad here. <coughs> I feel like a news reporter. Why do men struggle to understand their emotions and what benefit has it, if you do? Um, we as men don't really do a great job of understanding our emotions. I think like, I had a chat with my dad earlier this week and um, it kind of confirmed that there is definitely this generational difference between what are now much more emotionally aware and and um, emotionally intelligent men than the ones that are slightly older. Like my dad's generation is very much like keep everything in and compress them down. And like I was brought up with that and it's really only been oh, probably the last like year or two. And then very recently in the past like six months that my emotional awareness has improved and therefore my experiences in life have improved and my like understanding and everything. And like as guys, we're not really educated on what our emotions are. And often our emotions that we put out there are either like none or frustration, which leads to anger. 
We don't want to be seen as weak because being weak is bad in society as a man. That is what we're told. Not really what's actually the case because like you can't show courage without vulnerability. Like if you're, if you're completely safe, nothing is courageous. Like no man was courageous unless there was risk and they were vulnerable and they put themselves in a place of vulnerability. So that's something which when I learned that, I was like, damn, that's some powerful stuff. Jeez. So we have to understand our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses to be able to show courage. Um, so for me, I would say that it's been a process of understanding my emotions when I've been feeling them and then accepting that they are okay emotions to have. And instead of trying to like repress those emotions to the point where they like build up and then you get annoyed, I've just been trying to like listen to when those emotions have been coming in and understand them and then talk about them basically. And like the other night was actually a pretty prime example of, of how I can see that this has affected my life. So I'm sat down and like at the moment I'm working through this uh, new business proposal and I'm sat down with my sister and like I've, I've created this document it's got loads of stuff in it and we're going through it and she's asking me a whole bunch of questions and I've got the answers but like they're all over the place in this document and I'm trying to like do one thing and look at something else and then come to something else and then think da 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 and then she's asked me this question this question and I could feel myself getting really tense I could feel myself like getting frustrated because I didn't have the answers I didn't want to look weak I didn't want to look like unprepared in front of her and I could feel myself getting tense and like what I would have normally done in that in that instance in the past was just let that feeling continue to grow and try and just push it down and try and just like take what she was um, saying and I would just let that build until I would get annoyed and snap at her. That is what normally would have happened. But what I've managed to do through this process of like, listening to how I feel and understanding that it's okay to have those emotions. I don't have to be like this super strong know-it-all the whole time was that when I felt this coming up, when I felt this emotion coming up, I was like, hang on a second, what's going on? What is this? Okay. I'm getting frustrated because I don't have the answers. So I literally just turned to my sister and was like, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm struggling to deal with this, you know, you're asking me questions and I don't have all the answers and I want to make sure I've got all the answers. So why don't, um, why don't you write down the answers for me or write down the questions and send them to me and I'll go through, I'll get you all the answers and I'll send you it back. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Let's do that. And then we both walked away happy as Larry having no issue arisen. Whereas because it's my sister, especially that would have turned into an argument. I would have snapped at her in the past because I was frustrated with myself for feeling weak and vulnerable. Whereas now by understanding that emotion and accepting that it is okay to have that emotion, I was able to, to talk through how I was feeling with her, understand it myself. And then we came to a really amicable uh, resolution. And like that for me was kind of a, um, 
not pivotal, but it was just like a, an example to me of how I feel like I've changed and like how a lot of guys would have probably dealt similarly in, in that in that situation or similar situations they'd have just tried and tried and got frustrated and then not been able to understand why and then that only emotion they feel socially acceptable to let out is anger or irritation or some other sort of aggressive behavior and that's actually not really what many people want to see like a guy getting angry or frustrated it's not really like a very good thing at all is it like as men we should be able to understand ourselves. We should be able to communicate how we're feeling and we shouldn't really be judged on how those emotions are, you know? Anger is just the thing that we've been told it's okay to show. Like it's in movies, it's on pop culture, everything around us is kind of saying that guys are strong and silent and then get angry or they're bullies, you know, and like, that's not really what a man is. So really like, <laughs> it's quite funny because it's, it's kind of what um, that women have been telling us for years. <laughs> like, we just need to learn how to communicate about our emotions. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> we do just need to learn how to communicate our emotions. Because when we do that, everything is just like way easier. And then you can like, talk about things and generally it would appear that when you talk about problems they get resolved whereas if you don't talk about problems they get pushed down and when they get pushed down they're under pressure and then that pressure pushes back and those problems get bigger and bigger in our head and then all of a sudden for no unknown reason they just erupt like one tiny little thing that straw that broke that damn camel's back boom and then this thing that you've been trying to push down comes out of nowhere and the person that it happens to is probably not even their fault and they just have to deal with all the shit yet it's just years of that repression so but learning and talking apparently it's good things i would say i'd I, like it's definitely been helping me and i would definitely encourage lads out there like talk to your mates talk to your girl talk to your parents like i'm actually going up to see my dad this weekend because i just i want to know about him i want to know like, I've got so many questions. I want to know how he's gone through life and the decisions that he's made. And I want to know what I was like as a kid and, and what's been going on there. Like, I want to kind of break down those boundaries that are kind of there, you know, understand his background. It's cool to ask questions. It's cool to get answers. Just chat people, yeah? Deeds. <laughs> Um, right, last of the training questions. This one is around ego lifting. You know what ego lifting is. Ego lifting is like putting additional weight on the bar when you can't lift it. You can't lift that weight. Not good form, not with full range. You're just doing it. Just because you want to feel big man, strong man, put an extra weight on the bar. Oh, I saw someone doing it at the gym yesterday. And honestly... I just wanted to go over and be like, mate, take some fucking weight off the bar. Like, this guy had loaded up a bent over rope, yeah? Like, you know when you have the, you have the one end of the bar on the floor or in a, um, like, pivot, 
and then you stack some weight on the end, you get the narrow grip and you're pulling that weight towards your chest. Now, like a full range of motion should be straight arms all the way in till that weight hits your chest. This chap wasn't doing any of that. It was more of a deadlift than anything. And it was a deadlift into a little jerky thing. I reckon he had a solid three inches of range on that movement. Terrible. It was literally the biggest example of ego lifting that I've seen in a long time. Now, granted, this fella was big and, um, you know, he was walking around the gym as if he was carrying a couple of carpets um, under his arms. But he just had no need to lift that much weight. I reckon if he took 20 or 40 kilos off the bar, he would have got a much better movement. But he just wanted to be, he wanted to put as much weight on the bar as possible. He wanted to feel good that he was lifting big. But truth be told, it doesn't really help you. Like, if you want to get big, you need to break down that muscle tissue, right? You need to break down the muscle fibers, causing that, those tiny little tears at a microscopic level. And that comes from, from load and it comes from time under tension. But doing it through full range of motion means that you're actually going to get the ability to move through full range of motion. If all you ever do on a bench press is like three inches at the top, you're not very strong. Your muscles aren't used to moving through full range. You're not very functional unless all your movement you ever do is three inches at the top. But ego lifting doesn't really get you anywhere. Most people, the vast majority of people would be better suited taking some of the weight off the bar, lifting with more control under full range, working on the technique, than just loading the bar up and trying to go heavy. Because it doesn't really help you in the long term. You know, you might feel like a fucking boss at that time, but it's not really gonna help you in the long run. So I just say that, take some weight off, lads. Like, ego lifting, it's not really the one. You know, you might feel like a big man at the point that you're doing it, but remember, like, a man isn't really just decided by how strong he is or how big he is. You know, integrity, doing everything to the best of your ability, like, those are qualities for what a man should be judged upon. If you're cheating your reps, then... It's really worthless, you know what I mean? It's like, you can't go to any competition, be it in CrossFit, be it in powerlifting, be it in Olympic lifting, and do like half of the rep and then be like, yeah, that one counts, because it doesn't. You have to live through full range, because that is what is full, that is what is complete. Cheating a rep is like cheating life. You don't wanna cheat life, god damn it. Now the last question, the last point that I'm gonna be talking about today is fruit. Oh, fruit. Fruit's got a bit of a bad reputation for no reason at all. People think that you shouldn't eat fruit if you're trying to lose weight because of the fructose. Fructose is sugar that's found in fruit. And it depends on what the fruit is as to how much sugar, how much fructose is in it. Because actually there's often various different types of sugar in fruit. It might be fructose, might be glucose, might be sucrose, whatever. But um, because studies show that if you have a lot of sugar, your insulin will respond accordingly, it will peak and then it will drop and then you'll have a 
low blood sugar level and then you'll get hungry and maybe lost energy and then you'll need to pick it back up again and you have this like peak and trough right and if you're trying to lose body fat then having like a nice flat energy level like elevated and flat is more beneficial and so people have linked the insulin response and blood glucose level response and just gone well fruit's got sugar in it therefore i shouldn't eat fruit but actually it doesn't really have the same effect because fruit's not really got that much sugar in it. You know, like a banana, for example, it's like 120 calories, like a medium banana, it's like 120 calories. And that's not all sugar. You know, you've got starch in there, you've got fiber in there as well. So you've got to really consider that fruit is only an issue if you mush loads of it together take away all the water, take away all the fiber and just leave with this sugary sticky pulp, AKA a smoothie or dried fruit even. Like fruit in its natural form is good for you. It's really good for you. And we should be encouraged to eat fruit and veggies as part of our, our daily life. They really help us. But it's when we start fucking around with them that there becomes an issue. You know, if you take away the water, dry the fruit, you end up eating way more. And if you ate way more, then you're going to get lots more sugar, obviously, and a lot more calories. And then the issue becomes more prevalent. But if we basically stick to eating fruit the way that it grows, <laughs> you're not really going to have an issue with it. You know, like in a smoothie, like a innocent smoothie, which is very misleading name, by the way. They have like a banana, three apples, like some grapes, like half a mango, some pineapple, all in like this like 330 ml bottle. And there's like loads of sugar in that. But then you wouldn't eat all of that fruit in its like natural form in one sitting. Maybe you have it, maybe you'd have it across the day if you loved fruit. But you probably wouldn't. Most of us wouldn't. So pretty much like fruit shouldn't be stigmatized as like a bad thing. If you're dieting, I would encourage you to crack on and have, have more fruit. There's not really an issue with it. Um, so like, yeah, overall, <laughs> just, uh, just do what you do. Now, um, now team, you know what? I feel like we've got through a whole bunch of fantastic questions tonight. Great ones. Thanks so much for getting them in. You guys, as always, have done a great job. And um, if you want to have your questions, in and read out on the podcast if you want them answered live then all you have to do is follow me on instagram my tag is at david.bertwistle should be like somewhere up on the screen probably like here in the middle and um just slide into the dms at any point in the week before this is recorded it's these days recorded on a wednesday at 6 30 p.m in the uk so um any point before that buy your questions in you might get answered on the podcast um team could you do me a favor? Do you reckon you could do me a favor? If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, anything, give us a five-star review. Love you for it. If you're listening to this on YouTube, just like smash that like button, comment something really positive, maybe share it with your mates. Like that would be, that'd be sick as well. Instagrammers that you're watching this live. Thanks so much for watching it live. Massively appreciate it. Cheers for all the comments today. You guys have been awesome. Um, yeah, just like keep being super supportive because this podcast is run by you guys opportunity for me to share with you some of my life experiences and give you loads of information for free in the process 
Um, if you fancy like having some personal training or online coaching, I'm totally available for the online stuff. Uh, no, Got it wrong again. It's www.david-bertwistle.com for the website. Check it out. There's loads of um, information on there about online coaching. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. I can help you out. Uh, team, thanks so much. And uh, I'll see you all on the next podcast next week. Bye.